Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you've ever come to Spirit Rock and done a retreat um, on the land, or if you've done a retreat some other place, you know how how powerful an experience it is, the, the depth of practice as you go inside and you see this mind and body in a, in a quite illuminating way. You see how the mind gets caught and how it can be freed. You understand the, perhaps start to understand the nature of, of thought and just seeing how this mind fabricates reality and some thoughts are really wonderful. Some thoughts don't serve us, but the more you see what really is going on, that it's all mind created, the more you can choose which thoughts to give energy to and which ones not to. And you get in touch in a very profound way internally. You um, can take refuge in the Buddha right inside. You're familiar with the three refuges, refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, and refuge in the Sangha. And we're taking refuge in the Buddha in this um, purity of heart and goodness and wisdom that is right inside of us. And we can take refuge in the Dharma, seeing that every moment when we take refuge in the Dharma, this is how I see it, that every moment life is giving us just what we need to wake up, whether it's to wake up with gratitude and openness or to wake up with compassion and courage and strength and self-care. Every single moment that you're mindful, this is what the Buddha said, you are basically weakening habits of, um, of suffering and strengthening habits of freedom and liberation. And often on retreat, we go into um, uh, our past and in a new way, and we touch places of healing from past conditioning. So it's a very personal process in that way. And then we also see deeper understandings beyond our own personal history and story. <clears throat> And we see the nature of reality, that everything is impermanent, and that holding on to changing experience is suffering, is dukkha, and that we ourselves are this changing experience, the understanding of anatta, the selfless nature of reality. And that understanding of anatta starts to lift the barriers between myself and others. 
the Buddha, in one of my favorite teachings, he says, in this fathom-long body, the whole of life is revealed. This is your laboratory to understand what it means to be human, to understand the human condition, not only for your own freedom, but the more you understand this laboratory, the more you start to begin to have an understanding of the human experience that we all share. And this is um, where we can take refuge, not just in our own internal experience of the Buddha or of life in the Dharma, but take refuge in the Sangha. That take refuge in the sense that we're not alone and that we are practicing not just for ourselves, but everyone is affected by our practice. And this is what I want to talk about tonight. I was listening to a wonderful uh, teacher, John Powell, um, earlier today, and he was, he was mentioning that uh, Dharma practice, when it came to the West, it became very individualized, and that you might feel the community in a quiet meditation, but as far as the relating and interconnectedness and the relational aspect, uh, that's not often been as stressed, at least in many Dharma communities. But the truth is that we affect each other. There's no way that you can practice or even live your life without affecting those around us. I often think of us human beings as, um, as energy units of life, transmitter-receiver energy units. We're continually taking in from around us, taking in messages, taking in energies, taking in kindness, taking in um, sharpness, and we're responding to that. And we are also continually sending out our thoughts, our actions, our energy. And you know that we pick up on each other's energy field. If you're in a room and somebody comes in the room and you sense their kindness or their goodness, it affects you, doesn't it? Perhaps somebody might come into that room and they're anxious or fearful or angry. That affects you, doesn't it? And whether or not they even meditate, it's just we're all affecting each other all the time. And when we're around those who touch us, who inspire us by their courage, by their, mm, 
balance and equanimity, by their love, by their playfulness, we are, uh, we are moved and we take in that energy and it opens us as well. If you've ever been to, uh, fortunate enough to be around the Dalai Lama, I've gone, I, I highly recommend when, if he's around and in town that you do this. I can remember going to a, a teaching by the Dalai Lama and mm, I was in a kind of funky mood and I just, I walked into that auditorium and in like 15 seconds, I was lifted up and like, oh, wow. I don't know what was going on with me before, but um, sure feels good right now because he has such a, a beautiful energy field that it overrode my own grumpy mood. We do that for each other. You know, not necessarily, we're not, well, we all do have the Dalai Lama inside of us, but probably not as strong a field as he does. But there's this quality, it's called the elevated response. Jonathan Haidt, uh, the, um, the psychologist from, uh, from Harvard quoted it. When we see somebody do an, a noble act, we are elevated and inspired to do something noble ourselves. And we need heroes. We all have our heroes. I was thinking about this as I was putting my thoughts together for this talk. And growing up, my, my heroes were um, Lou Gehrig, first baseman for the Yankees. There was something so good about him. And so he died before I was ever born. But I read his biography and I said, wow, that's the kind of guy who I like to be with. Somebody who's steadfast and kind and he was on the quiet side. But Lou Gehrig, Fiorello LaGuardia. I saw the, the play Fiorello when I was a kid and he was the mayor of New York, LaGuardia Airport's named after him. And uh, he just, um, he exuded a, a, a goodness and a playfulness and, and Gandhi was my, was my other my other hero. Wow. You know, we need heroes. And there are certain people in my pantheon of high beings that I just think about them and I get happy. Pete Seeger. I'm going to date myself. Pete Seeger. I just think about Pete Seeger and there's something that opens my heart. His goodness. Or, um, let's see, who did I write down? Oh, Julie Andrews, Danny Kaye, Martin Luther King. I wonder for you, just for a moment, and now there are so many in, in modern times, you know, Michelle Obama, the Dalai Lama. Think now for you, for a moment, who inspires you? Invite you to close your eyes. Who is your, are your heroes or heroines or inspirations that when you think about them, they touch something good inside?
give you that elevated response. And if you have someone in mind, as you think about them, just notice how it feels inside your body when you tune into that energy. Okay, and now I'll open up, just for the fun of it, I'll open up the chat box and we can just inspire each other by our heroes. Just put in for, uh, for a few moments, who does it for you? And I bet just even reading the names, uh, if they're familiar, then um, we would be moved. So is the chat box open for everyone? Yeah. Uh, Ramdas, Mandela, Jane Goodall, yeah, she's right up there. Uh, Philip Moffat, Mandela, yeah, let's hear. Come on, we have time. Uh, Diana, Lady Diana, David White, John Lennon, he's, in, he's there for me. Jack, Tara, Maya Angelou, yeah. Come on, let's see. Just a couple, a few more. Just put it in. You're part of us. Mr. Rogers, one of my favorites. He's right up there. Yes, Zelensky. RBJ, yeah, Thich Nhat Hanh. Even notice what it's like just to see these, these names. Oh yeah, Jim Henson, Muppets. Mm. Brene Brown, yes. Uh, great, so, okay, and we can turn, uh, turn off the, oh, that's nice, my partner. Uh, can turn off the, the chat box. Now, oh yeah, Katanji Brown Jackson, how beautiful, and Oprah, yeah, Tutu, right up there for me. You notice how it feels just to read those names? Isn't that good? We didn't, I didn't give a talk, I just was, we were just looking at names. And yet just thinking about those people opens us. Isn't that amazing? The Buddha said, to keep the company of the wise and as best you can avoid the company of the foolish. Easier said than done, and we all have our own lists. And there are people in our lives who um, we are, uh, we need to be around even if they don't elevate us. But he said, if you want to develop qualities of heart like equanimity or joy or kindness, love, generosity. He said the best way to do it is to be around people who express those qualities because there's something that rubs off on us. And he said, be careful about being around people who um, put you down, especially around your practice. There's this image of being a tender sapling as you're starting practice, and you need to shelter that sapling so it, the animals don't uh, nibble on it, or that it gets, it's protected from the elements and gets the right amount of light and, and, um, and water. But once it gets rooted and it grows into a strong tree, it can withstand the elements and then when it's truly mature, that tree bears fruit 
and nourishes others and can provide shade and shelter for them. And so he says, at the beginning, you want to be very uh, gentle and tender and know the company you keep so that you are supported in your practice. And then you too can nourish others and give shade to them and give comfort to them. <clears throat> so I want to talk particularly about the fact that we're not just practicing for ourselves, but for everyone in our life who gets affected and ripples out and affects everybody else. And I want to share this, this passage from uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi. And Bhikkhu Bodhi is uh, one of the great translators of, of the Pali Canon, all the, all the thick books. I'm sorry, I don't have, have it with me right now, but the middle-length discourses and the, um, the connected discourses and all the big references with the Buddha's uh, discourses. Uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi is the main translator. Um, brilliant scholar who also is... Um, a fierce activist and engaged. He started Buddhist Global Relief that has raised hundreds of thousands of, of dollars, um, probably millions by now, and affected many, hundreds of thousands of people. That I do know um, as, a, as one of his facts. And this is what he says in a, an essay called A Challenge to Buddhists. And I think... Uh, I, I gave that to um, uh, to Ileana to put in the, the chat box, Bhikkhu Bodhis, A Challenge to Buddhists. And here's a passage from this essay. He says, if Buddhism in the West becomes solely a means to pursue personal spiritual growth, I'm apprehensive that it may evolve in a one-sided way and thus fulfill only half its potential, attracting the affluent and the educated, it will provide a congenial home for the intellectual and cultural elite, but it will risk turning the quest for enlightenment into a private journey that in the face of the immense suffering which daily hounds countless human lives can present only a resigned quietism. The special challenge facing the Dharma in our age is to stand up as an advocate for justice in the world, a voice of conscience for those victims of social, economic, and political injustice who cannot stand up and speak for themselves. And this includes planet Earth. This, in my view, is a deeply moral challenge, marking a watershed in the modern expression of the Dharma. And I believe it points in a direction that Buddhism should take if it is to share in the Buddha's ongoing mission to humanity. We're not practicing just for ourselves alone. And in that, as we deepen our practice, we can't help but open up to the pain around us. 
but wisely with wisdom and with equanimity so that we can respond. We're wired up for compassion. <clears throat> compassion, the sublime state of compassion, the quivering of the heart in response to suffering. It's a sublime state because the caring that it evokes is sublime. And so to keep this in mind, particularly at this time, this is a very unique time in humanity, <clears throat> I believe. And I think probably most would agree Everything is on the line now in a way that's never been before. As one of my friends says, we're in a race between fear and consciousness, it would seem. <clears throat> Many people say, my goodness, God, what a time to be born. What a time to live. Gosh. Get me back to the simpler times when mm, there wasn't a pandemic or at least for quite some time, um, there wasn't the threat of a world war. There's always been war going on for mm, throughout the world since, since in my lifetime. And people have been suffering someplace in this world because of war. Uh, but now with this current situation in Ukraine, where the possibility of nuclear war becomes all of a sudden um, real, uh, it uplevels the whole fear and tension and anxiety. And of course, there is climate. And sometimes people say, oh my goodness, you know, I, I don't know if I can even go there, you know, or, oh, do we have to talk about that? It's, uh, I just want some peace and ease in my, my Dharma practice. Uh, I was at a retreat um, a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, no, it was uh, 2019, with Venerable Analio, a wonderful Dharma teacher, brilliant, scholar and um, uh, meditation master. <clears throat> and the end of this retreat, it was a, a retreat on the Anapanasati, 16 stages of working with, uh, with the breath in the, the sutta by the discourse, uh, by, by the Buddha. Um, and the last day of, of the retreat, the morning that it was ending, he came in and he said, uh, this morning, I want to talk about a topic that some people might not think of as appropriate for the Dharma Hall, but I think it's one of the most important things we can be discussing. I want to talk about climate today. And it completely surprised and um, mm, it took me 
uh, took me um, completely took me uh, off my my feet. Oh wow! And then he proceeded to say why this was so key right now for us to be holding this in our consciousness, because if we are going to survive as a species, it's going to take being as conscious as we can. It's going to take being aware of Dharma principles and having them um, spread and understood about the interconnectedness of life, about the the consequences of our actions, cause and effect, about sila, living with integrity and not causing harm, about um, having a compassionate stewardship for, for life, and about seeing that we can make a difference. You might say, oh gosh, what a time this is to be born. A couple of years ago, I did a climate day at Spirit Rock and one of the teachers was Bellevue Rooks, this wonderful, uh, wonderful um, teacher. And she says a, a line that I've quoted since that day, this is the moment we were born for. This is the moment we were born for. Wow, how exciting that we can make a difference. And my, my dear friend, Terry Patton, who passed away this last year, who wrote a book called The New, New Republic of the Heart. It's a beautiful book, A New Republic of the Heart. He says, if the measure of a human life is a chance to have significance that extends beyond itself, then we've hit the jackpot. We are alive at game time on the planet when everything we value is gen genuinely threatened and when it's a time for all hands on deck. We hit the jackpot. We're the ones. And I probably don't have to give to you uh, too many statistics. I won't give you statistics, but I will um, share one paragraph from a book that, has, that really um, touched me a couple of uh, years ago, David Wallace Wells, who wrote this book, The Uninhabitable Earth, and there's a, uh, a, a an article that he wrote that really first touched me. I'll just read the, the opening paragraph. It is, I promise, worse than you think. Absent a significant adjustment to how billions of humans conduct their lives, part of the earth will likely be close, become close to uninhabitable and other parts horrifically inhospitable as soon as the end of the century. Even when we train our eyes on climate change, we're unable to comprehend its scope. Hmm, just taking that in. And I won't 
go into all these irreversible tipping points. Um, but that's why the, the title of this um, Earth Day we're calling The Time is Now Showing Up for the Planet. I want to. I'll say a little bit about the day, and then want us to go into uh, some some practice together. Uh, the guests for the day: Dwayne Elgin, who wrote this book. This is my go-to book around climate. Dwayne Elgin, "Choosing Earth: Humanity's Great Transition to a Mature Planetary Civilization," and. He brilliantly lays out the next five decades. He is a futurist, a, a quite a renowned futurist, who sees different possible trends of where we're heading. And he goes decade by decade. And one of the three possibilities is the dawning of the species, a new, a new awakening as uh, Andrew Harvey calls it, the dark night of the species that we are going through. And he says, there is a possibility here, but you have to have that as a vision. And he'll be, he and his wife, Colleen, who've done documentaries, um, are going to be sharing uh, from that. And then we're going to look at uh, climate trauma with Renee Lertzman, a brilliant climate trauma, uh, trauma psychologist. And uh, we'll have some music by my muse. And we'll also have uh, Kyra Julingo looking at um, environmental justice. And I'm going to be there with Kristen Barker from One Earth Sangha, who um, we put on lots of inspiring programs and trainings about how to be engaged. So now, how can we hold this all? And we can vacillate between mm, fear and despair and hope and vision. And so it's important to, to know whether this is climate or it's uh, racial in, injustice or um, uh, health or whatever your concern is, follow your heartbreak as Andrew Harvey says. So when I'm talking about climate, you can pick your own um, cause that touches you, but to realize that you make a difference and that you have to let go of thinking it's up to you to change the world. That's too much to take, but it's to take on, but it's up to you to find your own way to get engaged. Because as uh, Angelus Arian, wonderful wisdom teacher says, action absorbs anxiety. And if you are caught in despair or hopelessness, and you just are going into doom and gloom, you just add to more despair in the world. However, if you can hold a, an inspiring vision and you can join with others 
in that vision, it's amazing what happens when you turn towards inspiration, like I asked you to do a little while ago, and especially when you're there with others working together. I've been doing, um, sharing a lot of uh, talks to different groups in recent times about how stressful these times are. And we just would spend some time together getting in touch with our feelings and sharing. And almost all the time, we feel better having done that, more uplifted just by sharing our mutual caring. This is from Thomas Merton. An activist has to come to terms with the fact that what is done may ultimately be fruitless, but that you're doing it solely for, uh, that you're not doing it, sorry. That what is done may be ultimately fruitless, but that you're not doing it solely for the hope of results. And as you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate on the value, the rightness, the truth of what you do just for itself. In the Talmud, it says, if the world were ending and you knew that nothing would make a difference, you'd still do what is most aligned with the heart's deepest values. So this is where we can have our, our practice of compassion held with equanimity. You know, like Kuan Yin, the, the beautiful image of Kuan Yin, if you go into the, the Dharma Hall, the, the community meditation center, uh, right outside the hall is a huge statue of Kuan Yin in her relaxed re uh, posture where she has her arm outstretched, ready to leap into action and yet balanced and at ease. This is what our practice is asking from us. Um, but I want to remind us that we can't get stuck in gloom and doom and despair, that we have to come from if we want our actions to be effective, after we process our feelings of anger and fear or despair, they need to be acknowledged. And then we come from love. We come from gratitude. And uh, maybe now, uh, um, uh, Jesse, uh, put up that um, uh, spiral from Joanna Macy and share with you her suggestion of how to hold whatever practice you're, uh, whatever work that you're doing and uh, maybe spotlight that. And if you put it on a speaker of you, then uh, in your, uh, on your Zoom, you see, whoops, oh, it's upside down. Uh, well, up on the right-hand corner is gratitude and you open up to all the goodness of the world. And after you open it up your heart with gratitude, then you can start to honor your pain. 
and let yourself feel the pain inside. And as you do, and you metabolize that pain, this says seeing with fresh eyes. And then you go forth and you find a way to make a difference in this world. Okay, you can stop the share now. So you, you have to feel what you're feeling, but not be overwhelmed by it. And one way to do that, one way to have your practice support you in your work, in your compassion practice, is getting in touch with, in a very conscious way, how your practice is done not just for you, but consciously for the benefit of all beings. This is called the Bodhisattva Ideal. And in a little while, I want us to explore this as a practice together. This is what a great Tibetan master, Nyoshal Kempo, says. We are not practicing for ourselves alone, since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. And if we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, transformed in us, and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas, or bodhisattvas in training, I like to say, strive to embody. If you've ever done any reading uh, about the bodhisattva ideal, you know it is to see your practice as an expression of benefiting others, to relieve the suffering of others around you. And in the Tibetan tradition, you take a, a bodhisattva vow and you make a promise to yourself to hold your practice in that way. I took, before I ever heard the term bodhisattva, I took my own version of a bodhisattva vow when I was uh, much younger. I was in college, in Queens College in New York, and I was going through a really hard time, a really depressing time. I was reading a lot of existential uh, writings, uh, Camus and Sartre, and I was kind of coming to the conclusion that, oh, you're born, you suffer, and then you die, and what's the point? And there's no exit, as one of those books uh, would write. And I was, I was not fun to be around. Just every, every conversation with my friends was kind of like, you know, oh, well, what's the point? And, um, and people kind of gave me their, my space. Uh, and I went through that for, for a chunk of time. 
until one day in the Queen's College cafeteria, it's a big room, about 700 people or so, I think was the capacity, and it would always be kind of crowded and filled. One day in one of those depressing funks, I looked out at everybody in that room, and there were some people who were just eating their lunch quietly and others that were hanging out with friends and having a good time. And there were others that were into their books and others that seemed kind of more alone. And the thought occurred to me as I just looked out that whole sea of humanity, this is the thought that occurred. Everybody here just wants to be happy. And then the thought came to me, well, maybe if I could bring a little bit more happiness into the world, that might give my life meaning. Because uh, I could find no meaning for months. That could bring some meaning to my life. I didn't have any idea how I would do that because I was not very happy myself, okay? But it did set me on the road to say, okay, I'm gonna find out where real happiness lies and maybe I can bring it to others. That was my informal bodhisattva vow. I remember the day like yesterday. I can, I have the picture of Queens College cafeteria in my mind right now as I speak to you. And maybe you have had that experience in your own way, whether or not you've, since you've gotten into practice, formal practice or before. But I thought that it might be good to create our own bodhisattva vow as we do uh, as we share this evening together. Because remember, what we do affects everybody else, whether you like it or not, whether you want to or not, you affect everyone. everyone. Why not bring more goodness and love and consciousness into this world as a gift to everyone else? So I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And in this creating our own bodhisattva vow, and just having a basic principle of seeing your own happiness, your own consciousness and love and wisdom in the context of how it can benefit others. The people in your life, the people who you encounter, who are not close to you, and the rippling effects of your own practice as it touches others 
and shared is shared through them. Just imagine consciously holding your practice in this way, even when you all have your own doubts or judgments, self-judgments, or you see your neuroses, that you are waking up for the benefit of others as well as yourself. I'll be quiet for a moment. And take a few moments to ask yourself, what words would sincerely convey that wish in a way that uplifts your heart? Well, you might say something like, may my happiness lead to the happiness of others, but you find your own words. And if you found a, a phrase that resonates with you, here's the key part. Silently state those words as a pledge to yourself. And just connect with the sincerity of the intention those words express. Feel what it's like right now in your body and your mind and your heart to make that promise to yourself. And now I would invite you to write down those words. Uh, if you'd like, let's open up the chat box again, and you can be witnessed in your bodhisattva pledge. Here's a chance to, if you want to take the, the courage to do it, to share and be seen what moves you? And you can put it in the chat box right now. Just in a few simple words. When you write it, it becomes more real. May I bring ease to others. Put it in. Or if you want to write it just on your own, not to be ruled by fear. Use my imagination constructively to help others and myself. May my joy help me to relieve the suffering of others. May my, my perseverance benefit others. 
may love prevail. Thank you. May the well-being of those around me elevate. May my happiness uplift others. My purpose is to bring love into the world. Here it is. This is your promise to yourself. Just looking and being inspired, we can uplift each other. Again, just through our sharing of our good intention. May I help others feel the way I do when I create art. May I walk through the pain to bring joy. Allowing my practice to bring out the best in others. Beautiful. So just to close as I'm as we're reading those, I want to end with this poem by one of my favorite Dharma poets, Dana Falls, F-A-U-L-D-S. And this is her poem, Sangha. She says, teach me what I cannot learn alone. Let us share what we know and what we cannot fathom. Speak to me of mysteries and let us never lie to one another. May our fierce and tender longing fuel the fire in our souls. When we stand side by side, let us dare to focus our desire on the truth. May we be reminders, each for the other, that the path of transformation passes through the flames. To take one step is courageous. To stay on the path day after day, choosing the unknown and facing yet another fear together, that is nothing short of grace. All right, um, so we need to close, and I just want to thank everybody for being on the on the call and sharing the time. And um, may our practice here be of benefit to everyone in our lives and ripple out to be of benefit to all beings and the planet. And take a look at the f- the folks on the the video and wish them well. And we're all cheering you on. You are. We are all bodhisattvas in training, and we do make a difference. So let's go for it. Okay. Blessings to you. <laughs>